everybody. It is Saturday afternoon. It's not morning, it's afternoon. Saturday afternoon, and we are having a Saturday edition of Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomat with the Association. Today, I am joined by Dr. Martin Marin, aka Marty. Marty, good afternoon. How are you today? Good, good, good. AKA Marty here. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Saturday. You. We're being really casual today. It is. It is. Okay. We both had a busy morning. We just came off of um, part one of the NYU HCM symposium. That's been a fun morning, all HCM all the time. It is January 2023. We all survived, you know, 2022 and all of the changes that came downstream to the HCM community. And here we are planning another year. And today I wanted to cover a couple of topics on what patients and families with HCM really need to think about while planning out their year of HCM. We have a lot of things to plan in our year, birthdays, holidays, celebrations, vacations, work, milestones, but we also have to think about our healthcare in that same space. And when you have HCM, there's things you want to stop and Give yourself a moment to think about. Marty, what do you think as a patient is like planning their HCM year? What are some of the things that they should think about doing or talking to their healthcare team about? The first thing, which may be just very obvious, but nevertheless, probably worth just saying is that in general, most patients, you know, should be seen at least once a year with respect to their HCM, right? So we usually do an annual evaluation. We do an annual evaluation. So it's really important to make sure if we're talking about the new year, that patients have that appointment, you know, down so that they are, you know, plugged in to see their HCM physician. And the reason is because we, you know, we reevaluate each year, a number of really important issues that can change and that, you know, that if we want to be on top of those changes, because that could redirect different recommendations about management. And those two sort of areas include risk stratification for those that don't have ICDs, so risk stratification for arrhythmias for sudden death. And also we like to, um, you know, obviously make sure patients are still feeling as well as they should. And if not, why? And what we can do to help there. That's really probably just to start off in terms of the new year, making sure people have their appointments plugged in. I think there's two important things that I think about when planning care. And now I'm talking about my family, not me, because we know I'm on the other side of transplant. So my my question list is different. But you want to know what your anatomy is doing, what your body is doing, and what else is happening in science? Are there new clinical trials you might want to know about? Are there new treatment options you might want to know about? Have there been changes in our knowledge of genetic information? When a patient is evaluating what they, let's say, need to do from a clinical point of view, what tests are they revisiting? What numbers are they trying to keep an eye on? What are they looking for in terms of the clinical diagnostics? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great, it's a great point. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're usually, you know, looking at annually, at least an echocardiogram for most patients and why patients always say, why are we, you know, why are we doing an echo every year, even if I don't feel any different? And that goes to your, I think that's just kind of going to what you were just sort of raising, which is that there still can be changes to the HCM heart that may not mean the patient feels any different, but that we would want to be able to detect because we could be on top of certain things earlier. So some of those things have to do not just with the thickness 
of the heart itself, but also the heart's pump function, what we call the ejection fraction, and of course the valves. And we want to keep track of all that so that we can be on top of, if something were to change there, a redirection of, of, of treatment potentially. So the echocardiogram every year, for sure, even if you're still feeling the same for those reasons. Two, for those that don't have ICDs, if you're still feeling well, we, you know, we usually, for most patients, again, we risk stratify for, you know, concerning bottom chamber rhythms, the risk of that with a monitor, ambulatory, we call ambulatory monitor, rhythm, heart rhythm monitor that usually gets placed yearly as well. So those are your two fundamental tests. And then I'll just add that what also sometimes can, can also be part of that as well is an MRI. If they haven't had one initially, usually then an MRI would be done if you haven't had one at all. But also if you've had one before, we tend to consider repeating the MRI as well every three to five years in patients because there's information with the MRI that we can't get or don't get with the echo that again can impact management. Going back to the event monitor. So we're also using that to detect maybe atrial fibrillation that might not have symptoms associated with it. Some people pop in and out of AFib and don't even know it. Right. So we're also looking for atrial arrhythmias, correct? That's right. Upper and lower chamber. Okay. That's right. Want to be a little specific there. People yeah, don't think upper is atrial. So just to kind of maybe, maybe we should just carry that one point forward because it is a great point you made is that atrial fibrillation, upper chamber rhythm, it's really important to detect that even if patients don't feel it because detecting it a lot of times will change management because we will consider protecting patients who have atrial fibrillation, even if they don't feel it, with blood thinners to protect against stroke, which is very high risk in patients with HCM who have atrial fibrillation. So just that's the reason for that why AFib is so important. Thanks for bringing that up and, and slowing the cadence down there a little bit because it is a critically important item. And as somebody who has once had a stroke from a different cause, right. trust me, you don't want to do it if you can avoid it. So the MRI question, I had something happen this week where somebody newly diagnosed had an MRI last year and then they did a repeat MRI this year. And I said, that's highly unusual. And he was told by his community-based cardiologist that that was standard practice every year for HCM. I'm like, hmm, we're going to address this in the podcast. So it's every three to five years with an MRI. And can you tell us what changes we're looking for year over year or every three to five years in the MRI change? Right, that's right. So what we're looking for, you know, predominantly, you know, with the MRI is assessing the changes uh, to the scarring that can occur in the heart muscle, which is detected by the MRI with the intravenous injection of a contrast agent called gadolinium, which is given at the time of the MRI. And the, the gadolinium helps us to detect the presence and the amount of scarring. And that's important because scarring itself can be associated with an increased risk of life-threatening bottom chamber rhythms in HCM. And this is, uh, and so for that reason, we we uh, always want to reassess that issue, and we do it with the MRI on an every three to five year basis because scarring probably doesn't change quick enough that it makes sense to do the MRI yearly. 
that that's why you know you you know that's why we've got that point to make that we don't do it annually usually it's usually every three for year because the changes that we're looking at with the MRI the scarring are usually slow processes that take several years to develop and and that's the rationale for why the MRIs every three the echoes every year interesting question just popped up here in the feed after myectomy I'm assuming there can still be scarring. What is the impact on myectomy to scar? Yeah, so that's a great, it's a great question. And and I think there's a lot of confusion sort of around that concept. And so let me kind of, kind of unpack that by saying that the myectomy operation itself, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the strategy of resecting muscle out with the myectomy to relieve or get rid of the obstruction, the high pressures itself, then does not produce scar in the heart muscle. You could get a little scarring on the side where the muscles resected with the scalpel. That's just, you know, usual, just a reactive little bit of fiber, what we call scarring from that. But what we're really talking about is scar in the heart muscle and the myectomy does not do that. That's as a, just to, to, to kind of contrast that for just a second, that's as opposed to, or in contrast to, the alcohol septal ablation procedure, which is an injection with a catheter of alcohol into the muscle, which as a result of that does produce scarring in the muscle. So those are two distinctions that are important to make between the two different septal reduction therapies. That was very helpful. So clarifying for Becky, who's asking another question, whether or not you have a myectomy, is not really an indication as to whether you're going to not or are going to develop additional scarring. Right. That's right. That's right. So exactly. In other words, the surgery, relief of of the gradient with surgery doesn't mean that the patients will not then develop scarring. It doesn't, the, the two don't connect. Keeping on topic here. So patients should have these various tests done and have conversations about those results with their HCM care team. I will jump in as HCMA recommending that your imaging be done at a high volume center of excellence. Your community cardiologist certainly has a role to play in your management, but please let your imaging be done by the highest volume programs because that's where the best pictures are gonna come from and they're gonna get the most information to help you because they have tighter protocols and better reads on unique anatomy. Would you agree, Marty? Yeah, 100%. There's no question. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of expertise that goes into interpreting the HCM imaging, both echo and MRI. And a lot of it's very nuanced that that really comes with the experience of an HCM expert and HCM expert centers. Um, And so you're absolutely right. In order to get the most reliable, comprehensive interpretation of those images and how they were then relate to what we should do with the patient management should be done in an HCM center. You've got all your tests done. You've got your new numbers. You've got some options in front of you. If you're looking for new treatment options, can you just briefly go over? We've got the toolbox that's getting more and more filled up which is fantastic, more options available. But for right now, let's say you've gone through all the toolbox, the patient's still not feeling as well as they want to feel. It's, they're still burdened by the disease. We're surviving, we're doing good, we've risk assessed, but we're not feeling great. 
there's some new clinical trials that are coming out. Could you discuss what some of them might be targeting and what kind of patient profiles we might be looking for for some of those trials? Well, I think I'll say that the the biggest focus, you know, uh, in terms of I think what you're getting at there is clinical trials focused now that are starting now on the new therapies in terms of making patients with non-obstructive HCM feel better. We've talked about this before, but I'll say it again, you know, perhaps the greatest unmet need, treatment need in the disease right now, particularly, as you just said, because the toolbox, the options for obstructive patients is very comprehensive at this point not so much for non-obstructive. It's a, for that reason, I think it's fair to say a greater unmet need is with that patient population. And so the, there are going to be a number of clinical trials and already are, and then there are going to be more, looking at one or more different drug therapy options to improve how patients with non-obstructive HCM feel. And by the way, that could be non-obstructive HCM from the beginning, and that also could be non-obstructive because they've had a prior myectomy or alcohol ablation and are now not feeling the way that they want to, okay? So it's both of those non-obstructive groups. So when we were doing some of the early recruitment for some of the Mavicampton trials and even some others, we always were looking for obstructed patients because they were the easiest to see, is there an improvement? Did a gradient go down? You had this real easy point to look at. That's right. But now we're looking at how do you feel? Right. And how can we help you feel even better? So right. the good, again, the good news is, and kind of to tie into something that probably our audience wasn't watching this morning, your dad's talk um, at the NYU meeting where he talks about HCM being a contemporary treatable disease. That's great. We're treating it. We're living. We're surviving. But now can we even feel better? And I think we're at that point where we can, we've got the survival thing getting under more and more under control. Now we have some options to really improve our quality of lives in ways that are meaningful to us as a community. So I would encourage everybody to talk to their HCM centers, what trials are available, whether you're obstructed, non-obstructed, apical, mid-cavity, Whatever, however you want to subdivide yourself in terms of your anatomy, talk about the potential of clinical trials. The promise is here. And frankly, we're going to need the community to step up and do these trials. If you want more options, I'm going to be really blunt here. There's a price to pay for everything that we have available to us in technology and options. So you got to do clinical trials. You got to try these drugs out, get the data and make good decisions. And best place to do that is the center of excellence. I'll get off my clinical trial soapbox now, Marty, unless there's anything else you want to add. No, that's well said. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, we've got to have as a community and buy-in on these clinical trials, or we won't get the answers that we really want to get about whether they work, you know, and and in who they work best and and so forth. Those are very complicated, tough questions, particularly in a disease like this. And we've got to all pull together and engage in clinical trials, or we won't get the answers, or we won't get them in a time frame that makes sense. It'll take forever. So you're absolutely right. And that's a really, really important message. 
So people have gotten their tests done. They know their new numbers. They've talked about clinical trials. Let's talk about communicating to family members about their needs to be screened. What should a patient with HCM be telling their family up to their parents, over to their siblings and down to their children? How should they be looking at the year in terms of who needs to be doing what? You know, actually, I, I think uh, that that that, rep, that that conversation about patients communicating to other family members the importance and need for screening because this is a genetic heart disease is a, is actually underestimated. I think we, we underestimate how difficult and challenging that conversation can be for some patients and families. I sometimes get asked sort of how recommendations on sort of how to handle that. And, and, and I don't know if there's necessarily a right answer. Probably a lot of that depends a little bit on the, the type of family, the type of people, and, 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 and what may be the dynamics going on in terms of, of that for different family members. And so the bottom line is that First, it's just it's a conversation we, you know we got to figure out how to have because it's so important because family members need to be evaluated. It's a genetic heart disease. There is a risk that other that other family members and relatives of an affected person may have HCM. Um, not knowing is not, in my view, not good. Of course, uh, knowing is more important, and that's maybe one of the first messages that family members who are affected can can relay to others about why is because knowing is more important and more helpful than not knowing because things that are not good can happen to even patients that are not symptomatic. And so we want to know, do they have HCM? Because we can then provide them the kind of information that they can then use to hopefully make the, the right decisions for them. That's a starting point. And also emphasizing other family members that, you know, the need to get, you know, evaluated, I'll just say with screening, you know, for this disease, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about this disease, but you just said one of the most important truths, which is that it's treatable highly treatable genetic heart disease. And even, you know, today with all the therapies we have. And so communicating to family members that, you know, that, that, that it's not just a bad disease, but that it's a treatable disease, you're kind of reversing it around, uh, may help them psychologically make that step to get tested to see if they have HCM as well. So those are some thoughts. We have some tools available both online and in paper. In our HCM patient journal, which is we give to every member. There's some pages in there that we made little pictures on the top of them, like take a picture of this and send it to your family. So it's a text that you can send out to the family. Hey, this is what they're telling us we should do for screening for our family. So who should be screened, how often they should be screened based on their age, based on their genetic status. And we make it a complicated conversation, easy in a couple of texts to your family and we're even going to have some new systems brought in, hopefully by mid-February, where you'll be able to engage with us on a new platform that we're developing. And you'll be able to forward the information directly to your family members via text, which will link them to information in a completely anonymous way. So nobody's going to disclose anything. They don't have to worry about status being understood by anybody else, but you can communicate and some are going to follow a text and some are never going to listen to their little sister about when they should get their hearts checked. And some will come around when they need to come around. Don't give up on the communication. We know it's uncomfortable. We're here to help you through that process too. have those conversations before something bad happens. And then you feel badly that you didn't say anything. And if you say something and they don't act, 
at least you tried to say something. That's right. Yep. Yeah. We now have covered the diagnostic pathway for the year, the clinical trial question, the family screening question. Should patients be asking anything else? Should they be inquiring about diet and exercise, mental health? What they what should they be checking in with? Yeah, I mean, I think those are all really, you know, those are always really important additional uh, aspects to consider for almost all patients, you know, and so obviously that, that those ties sort of topics apply sometimes more relevant to some patients than others, but, you know, checking in with your HM, you know, expert provider on that annual visit about any concerns you may have related to how one may be handling the, the disease, uh, you know, um, and, and also recommendations about diet and exercise are always important to revisit every year as well. And also some centers, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this before. I mean, we're, we're trying to kind of go in a direction. I'm talking about the HCM center, the contemporary HCM center is starting to, and will hopefully more in the future, start to be a true multi-center center, a center in terms of incorporating in the evaluation and the treatment of patients services that have traditionally not been part of the conversation, diet and exercise. So in other words, maybe referral to a nutritionist, because we know how much weight is so important in this disease as it is just in general health, but also in this disease. Mm-hmm. Getting the kind of mental health you know, help that patients may need in, in those services, so integral to many patients, and having that part of what is offered in an HCM center as well. And also physical exercise, not only the recommendations that we could give patients uh, when they're there, but also perhaps there are ways that patients can get plugged in with trainers and people to help construct programs that meet the need of HCM patients in a safe and effective way as well. So th- so those are those are all really important things to raise as part of the annual visit as well. I still want to put my trial together that every patient with HCM and every family should be given an exercise prescription and go to a couple of sessions with healthcare providers there. So they learn the limits and they are comfortable in exercising and safe. So if you can't get that paid for by your insurance, a visit or two to a cardiac rehab to help develop a program might be an out-of-pocket expense, might be one worth the time. Absolutely. That would be interesting. We've covered the whole body. We've covered the family. And hopefully then we've checked in with that patient and they can kind of get on with their year. This year, there's going to be some different things happening in the community. And anybody who's in the private group heard my my talk this morning. I'm in a really good mood. And I'm in a good mood because the world is finally seeing us in a different way. And uh, I'm going to talk about auto a little bit. I'm not going to be a spoiler here, but I want to talk about an opportunity that we have at the very start of 2023 to let the world see HCM in an entirely different way. And we're going to pull a whole campaign together around this. Go see the movie, A Man Called Otto. Tom Hanks plays Otto. Otto has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And while the movie may be triggering in parts for some, as it's very close to home and his depiction is seriously only Tom Hanks could have done it this well. He understood us as a community. And for the first time in my life, I saw my life and my family 
accurately depicted in a movie. Mm-hmm. It was very bizarre. I kind of went in expecting not to like it. <laughs> Quite the opposite. We're going to use Otto as a teacher. He's a grouch. He's kind of an asshole, but that's okay. I love my grouchy HCMers too. I know a couple of you autos and you know who you are. So it's, it's amazing to see how they weaved generational trauma, life with chronic disease and real life all together. So we're going to use this as a talking point and an educational tool to our friends, our families, other healthcare providers. Like, yeah, you know what Otto had? You know, when Otto did this, that's what I feel like. And it, it will start making sense. We have a cultural talking point now. Mm-hmm. We've never had a good cultural talking point on HCM, except for sudden death and athletes, which is this very tiny minority of issues, important, but not the daily understanding of life with HCM. Otto provides that for us. Marty hasn't seen the movie yet. No. He does not share my excitement yet. No, After he sees it, he will. No, you're just, I, I share your excitement just based on what you just said. I mean, how could you not? I mean, I was uh, obviously right to the core and um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I don't think I ever thought that we would see a day where we would have a major motion picture like that in which a character like Tom Hanks being played by him that has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, you know, and can, you know. Can, so can I'm going to make a recommendation for viewing. Okay. And then I'm going to tell you the thing we're doing. Number one, if you're a clinician, go with your friends, family, et cetera. Fine. If you're a patient or a family member of a patient, either go to the movies alone or don't sit together. Mm. And the reason I say this, I'm glad I went alone because I would have been checking in with my family members and not paying attention to the movie because there are some issues that are a little triggering. It's a dark movie. There's dark humor in it. You'll understand it after you see it and you'll probably cry, but it's a cathartic cry. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of being grateful Mm -hmm. to have been born in this time so that you can be diagnosed and treated and managed. Mm -hmm. There's some gratitude here, but go alone and experience it. It's two hours of your life, absorb it and then talk it out and then maybe go back with your families. So um, I'm working on narrowing this down right now. This is going to be a space limited thing. I am renting an entire movie theater in Marstown, New Jersey on February 2nd. If you are in the New Jersey area and want to come to the viewing, there'll be an opportunity online to apply for tickets. We are going to view the movie together. And then at the conclusion of the movie, we're going to have a discussion group among patients to tell I'm, an, I'm inviting healthcare professionals, politicians, uh, lawmakers, media people. We're inviting them all to come watch the movie with us and watch and hear how accurate and how our lives kind of can, we can, we can, we're auto, we can relate to auto. And if you can have empathy for auto, then maybe there'll be a little bit better understanding of us because we are living this every day. I look forward to that. And if it works here in Jersey, I'm looking at San Francisco and Washington, D.C. for other viewings. I'm even buying the popcorn and the soda. So uh, we have some sponsorships in uh, on this one already, at least verbally. So I can't comment on them until I get it in writing. 
but a couple of our industry partners are, are helping us make this a reality. Please join in on that. And why is it such a good opportunity? Because then we can build our other programs out if people start to understand us. So the HCM Act, the Healthy Cardiac Monitoring Act, getting all well-child examinations to include cardiac heart health history questions and making sure families with genetic heart disease are identified early. We need to get this out there. We also need to get our new Drill Doctor Heart Challenge out there, drilling for cardiac emergencies. We know you need to learn how to do CPR and work with an AED, but what are you going to do in a moment of crisis? All right, we just saw two public cardiac arrests. One was witnessed on an NFL field and there was hands on that young man in 10 seconds. And another one occurred in the home of Lisa Marie Presley. And she was found on the floor. There was nobody watching her every move because she was home. Her, I guess her boyfriend or spouse, I'm not sure what the relationship is, started CPR, got her to an emergency room. And unfortunately, she did not survive. We don't have the details on what happened to either one of them yet. We suspect Kimosho Cordis and who knows with Lisa Marie what the, what the cause was, but it's a cardiac arrest emergency. Marty, do you think we're doing enough as a nation and as schools and teams and workplaces and houses of worship to prepare for these emergencies? Well, we've, got, we've made a lot of progress there. That's for sure. There's no question about that. Um, you know, if you look at kind of where we are today versus um, where we were even 10, 20, 15 years ago, there's no question that we've made a lot of progress in these areas you're speaking about. That doesn't mean we're done. Of course, we got a lot to go. But, I, you know, I think we have to always, you know, feel, you know, good in terms of perspective on on the fact that there have been huge strides, you know, made. You know, I'll just give you an example. I was just on that note, you know, I I was putting together a, a talk um, on sudden cardiac arrest, you know, in athletes uh, recently. And I had some footage from Hank Gathers, one of the famous basketball players who had a cardiac arrest on the basketball court in California, almost now, I'd say probably, what has it been, almost 15, 20 years ago? Hank Gathers was 30 years ago. It was 1990. 30, was it? Wow. Yeah. So year I got married. Was it? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, or, yeah. So if you look at, if you look at that, you know, uh, footage, it was, which I was looking at because I was putting it together, you know, there, it was, as you probably remember, I mean, there was, you know, people rushed out to him, but there was no, you know, no CPR and it was everything. You know, it was an incredible delay in getting him, obviously, the kind of care he needed to get at that time to resuscitate him. It's amazing just how 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 poor we were at that going back that far. And and of course, today, not that it's perfect, but, you know, I think we've got a different a different way of looking at it, a different infrastructure, a different way of delivering care very quickly to 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 as first responders. So we got more to go, but we've done a great we've done made huge strides. The challenge that we're offering to, to learn the drill, prep for the drill, film the drill, upload the drill and join the challenge. Right. And the challenge page will be up in the next 24 to 48 hours on the HCMA website. And you can enter to win an AED for your community. Um, we will be giving one away for schools, one away for houses of worship or community events, teams and workplaces. Um, there will be limits on the size of the workplace. But if right. you are a large corporation and you wish to join the challenge, you can direct the donation of the AED to your chosen entity should you get the most engagements and wins. 
So we're going to help teach people how to prepare for cardiac arrest emergency through social media. They'll watch your drills. They'll learn from your drills and you'll win an AED if you do it really well. We're encouraging reality and a little bit of humor would not be a bad idea to keep these things light and learnable. You know, when you go on an airplane, sometimes they give you a goofy film that shows you how to do everything in case of an emergency. Be creative, people. Make people watch your video. And that's kind of what it's going to be all about. It's the most engaging programs are going to get the most links or likes. And um, we're going to encourage you to just spread it far and wide. And maybe we can start our own little um, avalanche of awareness here. So we've got the HCM Act. We've got Drill Dr. Hart. And I have an announcement today. Yesterday, the governor of Connecticut signed a proclamation recognizing HCM Awareness Day as the fourth Wednesday of every February, this year, February 22nd. And earlier last week, but since our last podcast, Ohio has passed a law, a actual law, not a proclamation, not a resolution, but a law recognizing HCM Awareness Day. So our gratitude to Connecticut and Ohio for recognizing the importance of bringing attention to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. What do you think about that, Marty? Amazing. 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 Why don't you take a second to give people some idea how we got to there on those <laughs> briefly? I mean, how do, who, who do you give credit for? I mean, how do you how do you how did that happen? I'm going to give credit to our global community finally starting to work together in a productive way the past two, three years and finding partners and volunteers who are willing to give their time to organize these efforts. The HCMA's Legislative Advocacy Committee, chaired by Bill Ordaus and co-chaired by Rosemarie Conlin, have done an amazing job at organizing the talking points for the HCM Act and draft legislation and starting that outreach effort to state houses. Right. Um, so bravo to all of the members of the committee. Thank you to all of those of you who have volunteered. Now, you've all been asking for ways for you to get involved. What can I do, Lisa? What can I do, Lisa? Well, guess what? Now we have actionables. You can drill Dr. Hart and you can get it out there. You can join our efforts to get state-based legislation passed. You can speak to your lawmakers about recognizing HCM Awareness Day. And if we don't get it in for this year's HCM Awareness Day, I guarantee you next year is going to have a February too. So we'll be ready for next February and we'll get more and more online. And maybe within three to five years, we'll have every state recognizing us and we'll have state laws ensuring that our children's cardiac health is being evaluated. So you all can get involved with it because HCMA, our board of directors, our volunteers, We've all been working towards a day where HCM is commonly understood in the general population. And if anybody's ever heard any of my early talks, I have a pyramid and I talk about having to build the HCMA by building the top of the pyramid first. We needed good care models. And this week, I can't tell you who yet because we haven't made the public announcement, but we've added another HCMA recognized center of excellence to our program, bringing us up to 48 programs. So now wherever you are in the country, you are within about a five-hour drive or less from an HCMA-recognized center of excellence for care. So now that we can provide quality care throughout most of the country, we can start talking to the public about HCM in new and engaging ways. 
because there's going to be knowledge through things like HCM Academy that Marty and I are both working on. We provide medical education there. And that's only possible because our industry partners are sponsoring it and letting us guide the dialogue. It's a public-private partnership in that we're helping drive the message as an advocacy group. Industry's coming in and saying, how can we be supportive of education? We're helping our lawmakers and the FDA understand us as a disease state. And it's all coming into focus and people will have actionable items. Does that explain it, Marty? Yes, that explains it very well. Well said. Great. Do you agree? Oh, no question about that. Absolutely. But what you can accomplish when there is that village is sky's the limit. It's amazing. We both have things to do on the Saturday afternoon and it is quarter of the hour. So I'm just going to give a last shout out and say thank you to our sponsors. And those sponsors include some new ones for this year. So we have not in order of sponsorship level, but because I didn't write them all down. We want to welcome Tanaya Therapeutics, Biomarin, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, Imbria Pharmaceutical, as well as a number of our partner organizations like the American Heart Association, the American College of Cardiology, Women Heart, Patch, PCNA, Global Heart Hub. We are working as a global community to raise awareness about HCM and to ensure that people are not left without therapeutic options, diagnostic testing, and more. It took 27, almost 28 years to get here. It's been an interesting journey. And uh, thanks to the big guy who's probably on the other side of the house there with you, we've made so much progress. The big guy is Barry Marion himself and some of the groundbreaking work he did to get us to where we are now. Who knows where we're going? Right. Well, it's going to be a great year. There's no question about that. So you've already outlined many of the things to look forward to this year and to work toward this year to work with everyone on. And so uh, it's going to be 2023. It's going to be, uh, there's no question that I think when we talk again in 12, you know, we're going to talk obviously each month, but at the end of this year, I think we're going to have a lot to be proud of. I think so too. So two last messages, February 22nd, HCM Awareness Day. Check out the agenda available next week on the website of what we're going to be doing all day. And just a little shout out here because you never know how the universe works. Tom Hanks, call me, dude. We got to talk. (laughs) That's a perfect way to end. (laughs) Sounds good. Have a good rest of your afternoon. Thanks, Marty. uh, You too. Thanks, everybody, for attending and and listening in. We'll, We'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody. 